0: Hello and welcome to Auroc Digital's How to Make a Video Game podcast. Here, you'll be entertained, informed, and enlightened by the many goings-on within the studio as we introduce you to our projects, our colleagues, and give you a little insight into how we operate. Thanks for listening in. We hope you enjoy today's episode i can't believe it's season seven jess
1: season seven season seven you sound like you've been around for a long time here matt
0: well well shortly before before your good your good self joined the podcast i've been i was thinking well you know listeners are gonna at some point gonna give it bored of my my dulcet tones i'm like like you're you're like the the new doctor that's regenerated which we've joked about in the past because that seems to happen with all the other presenters But for me, I I don't know, I'm like a thread that you can't get off your own jumper or something. Just, you know, you want to pull it off, but you think, no, well, if I I pull that thread off, does that mean the whole thing's going to unravel? I don't know if that's me at this point.
1: So I suppose in in the Doctor Who context, that kind of makes you, what, a Dalek, a Cyberman? I mean, pick pick your poison here.
0: I mean, I know I, I I'm not I'm certainly not as uh as um as deep into Doctor Who as some people, but um I know what a Dalek is and they're the big bad, right? I'm not sure I want to be the big bad. Oh, um, nice. I think I'll take thread. I'll I'll ask, I'll remain as the thread <laughs> for this. <laughs> anyway, hello, welcome to the pod. Today's a really good one. I mean, all the all the pods that we put together, all the content is is well researched and it's, it's all, all stuff that we're super passionate about. But this one, I would hazard to say, like, this is a super important episode. Uh, why is that, Jess?
1: Well, I think this episode more than any other episodes is because it's an episode that discusses the the wider world. It discusses a topic that involves all of us, whether we like it or not. And by that, I mean climate change, video games and climate change. Um, so I guess, I guess it's easy to think of climate change as like this throwaway... Uh, kind of phrase that we say you know where we its so ingratiated into our vocab um but it also carries this huge weight behind it as well as a phrase um so when we're saying you know using it every day um it's easy to take the context and stay separate from it um i mean mm. i guess we, we all know that uh the planet for the sake of simplicity it's it's getting hotter and i don't want to bear down on the details of that's like um, but it's pretty devastating and it's happening quickly um, and being in the video games industry um, we are not by any means guilt-free from this we are a pretty significant contributor um, UK, uh, the uh, Association for UK in- Interactive Entertainment uh, they're a leader in terms of UK games industry and they've recently released a green games guide right and uh, this is in supplement to their green pledge, which is really, really awesome. Uh, it's this kind of guideline that takes you through the um, the means of well, not only measuring your carbon footprint, but also the process of it. Right, where does it start? And it starts all the way back at you know the manufacture of raw materials before we even get start to make video games, um, and then you move on to the development costs and the creation of these games and such, um, and and. It, it goes beyond just the development of the game. Um, and, you know, us as games developers and games publishers and anything else to do with the world of, of video games development, it's, it's also the onus on the individual player as well. Um, there's, I was reading an article the other day and it, uh, the individual gamer, um, it's estimated that worldwide gaming devices use 34 terawatts of energy each year. And, you know, I have no idea uh, what a terawatt is! This is a brand new word to me. <laughs>
2: um,
1: but that's that's the equivalent of five million cars.
0: Stats, that's, man! That's Im- oh my gosh!
1: I know stats. Well, that's what you that's what you come to me for.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's when 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 stats like that get thrown out, it really do it really does put things into perspective. It's it's really great that we're using not only video games but also the podcast as a bit of a vehicle to kind of you know help spread that word spread that awareness it's something that we all absolutely all need to be aware of more because inevitably it's even if it doesn't directly affect us as as it is but certainly our you know our grandchildren our grandchildren's children all the rest of it the people that are still yet to be born they are going to feel the impact of these these things and um you know it's, it's it's i'm really quite proud and honored to be part of this pod where we are talking about this kind of stuff We do have a couple of guests on this episode today. We do. Um, Hit me. Who are these people?
1: Oh, well, we've got two guests. Uh, One is Dr. Benjamin Abraham, uh, who will be, among many, many things, uh, talking about his brand new book that's going to be published soon called Digital Games After Climate Change. And our other guest is the esteemed Stephen Webb, uh, who is the General Counsel and Company Secretary for Sumo Group. They're both very knowledgeable in their retrospective areas of development, business development, operations, and also climate change. We are joined here today with Dr. Benjamin Abraham, who's kindly going to talk to us a little bit about uh, games development and climate change. Um, if you want to introduce yourself, Ben.
3: Yeah, thanks. Um, hi, Jess, and thanks for the, uh, the invite. Um, so I'm a... I'm in, I'm now a former academic. I was a, a lecturer at the University of Technology Sydney in Australia for about five years. Um, I was teaching digital and social media, and um, my research is is all about games. And I've I've been a big game player for several years. Um, and I I got to the end of my PhD and was about to um, starting to think about what the next project was that I wanted to kind of do, and the only thing I could really get super excited about and, and, and wanted to work on was, was something to do with the climate and climate change. So I started a couple of years ago. This was around about 2015, 2016, um, working on the, the first ideas that became the book. Um, the book is called Digital Games After Climate Change and it's all about what the games industry needs to know and the ways that it needs to change um, to to get ready and and really respond to the the very urgent demands that um, uh, that we currently face.
1: Yeah, they they really are urgent demands that we face at the moment, and I think uh, the games industry is is an industry that can lead by example, really um, worldwide. Um, so, your new book—I mean, you've written the literal book on on games development and climate change here, which is the the topic of our podcast. So, uh, would you say that? a sustainable games industry looks like a digital one to mean a departure from physical disks and also maybe one of internet activism as well.
3: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess there's sort of two parts to that. Um, one of the main claims that I make in the book is that the games industry needs to become and needs to, to set targets to achieve carbon neutrality, it needs to be you know completely carbon neutral. And one of the things that we know now um, is the best way to do that is to be fully electric, fully digital. Um, that applies to, like, housing and appliances. It applies to, like, vehicles. Anything that traditionally burned fossil fuels um, needs to become electric so that we can use renewable power to um, um, to kind of generate it. So, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, I have a case study. One chapter in the book is all about the emissions embedded in sending disks all around the world. Um, and there, there are a couple of like research papers that I draw on um, to, to kind of give a sense of like the scope of the emissions that that entails. And just to give you a little idea, um, I mean, I was just talking about it earlier this morning, but um, it's like hundreds of thousands of, of tons of CO2 every year just to get disks to, um, you know, like around the world. And, um, yeah, so obviously that needs to change, and I think a, um, a digital industry is, is a really great way to do that. So the games industry has a real social conscience, I think, and we've seen that over the past several years. Like the whole time, I guess, I've been involved in it, um, there have been more and more signs that game developers are interested in social issues like equality, um, social justice, racial justice, gender equality, Um. And a whole range of other kind of issues um, related to that, and I think climate justice is the next one. And I'm I'm really encouraged actually over the last like year to two years, I've been seeing a lot more developers like yourselves get interested in what it takes um, to to be carbon neutral and and to be a positive force in the world of the climate.
1: It's it's really interesting that you hit on that point of of social conscience. I think. I'm very new to the industry, for for reference for you. I've been here for a wee eight weeks. Uh, Oh, wow. Yes. um, But I think social conscience-wise, I feel quite secure in knowing that this industry, yes, it definitely has a lot of setbacks and a lot of areas to improve on. And I'm not ever going to negate those or argue against them because I think they should be... uh, Called upon, but I also think it seems to be one of the more genuine industries in terms of working towards these these justices and these you know climate activist mm, spaces. Mm. Um, especially in terms of LGBTQ rights and climate rights, um, there does seem to be genuine change. Uh, like our very own Sumo Group as well, who recently acquisitioned us. They're trying to go one step ahead and be carbon neutral by twenty twenty five, which is yeah is good. Right.
3: Are they are they part of the Playing for the Planet Alliance? Yep,
1: they are. I think. They are indeed.
3: Mm. Yeah. Um, nice.
1: Yeah. So it's it's nice to be part of a company as well whilst working in the industry that is is actively supporting what it is they preach.
0: Mm. Um, just just to second that as well. Yeah, you're right, Jess. There's there's such a willingness to change, and the the second there's in the gaming industry and and. When there's a realization that, you know, something can be improved upon or something's not getting enough awareness or, or whatever, you know, the gaming industry has always been like that. I mean, in, it's still a young industry, you know, 30, 40 years is not a huge amount of time. Um, and it's evolved and, you know, exploded so much in that short amount of time. So it's 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 really exciting and, enc- and encouraging to know that you are supported, you know, um, and that's, that's one of the biggest draws for me, certainly as well. So I definitely say mm. that.
3: that. And I think it's not just that the it's it's not just like um it's not just like vague support either of two like oh you know we're with you but like actually like shows of really like worker solidarity amongst different companies too like the um the number of people that have uh, expressed support of um the the Activision Activision Blizzard walkouts as well has been really really great to see over the last couple of months um, as that's the kind of situation where like, yeah, obviously like massive improvements need to happen and how do you get them, how do you get that done? Well, you, you kind of make it done. <laughs> you yeah. sort of, you force it, you know, you, you mm. build collective action, collective power and, um, and get heard, yeah.
1: Yeah, you make the change that you want to see um, where, of course, it's, it's safe Definitely. and possible for you to do so as well. What do you think, this is a question that I was really interested to ask you, is uh, what do you think the carbon impact of next generation console gaming and cloud gaming will be? Because obviously that's a whole different ballpark. It's not necessarily mm. the energy to run the console itself in someone's home that is, has an impact. I mean, it does, it definitely does. We've already talked about this. But mm. for cloud gaming specifically as well, it involves these huge servers that require an immense amount of energy and 24-hour servicing as well. Mm. So what do you think we as an industry could take steps towards to mitigate that whilst also still being able to to level up our ga- gaming experiences?
3: Um, yeah, that's a really tough question. And um, I've actually, I've, I, I'm a really big fan of um, the work of a guy uh, who was at the University of Surrey. That's where he did, he did his PhD um, on games and their kind of climate footprint. Um, and he now works at Sony doing, um, in their kind of sustainability group. And, um, yes, he has done a PhD, a literal PhD on, um, evaluating what different, what what are the different system parameters that affect the emissions intensity of different kind of gaming profiles and, um. Uh, yeah, so he looks at like cloud streaming, he looks at um, downloading games, he looks at disc-based games, um, and um, it's a really, really, really detailed study. Like it's a PhD level work, that's like several years worth of sustained work. It's it's more detailed even than my book. My book is quite a high level Um, kind of conceptual argument and I I have a little bit of data in there to kind of support the the, the reasoning and the arguments I make but his is like okay this is the measurement that we took of the PlayStation and this is how much it used and this is the here are the the six to eight different engineering development versions the SKUs of the PlayStation 4 over its like seven year lifespan and each one used less and less power over time um, and it became more and more efficient so one of the findings that he, he made in his study was that um, through just the efficiency of the device itself, like the PS4, something like seven terawatt hours, terawatt hours of power was avoided just through the energy efficiency improvements over generations of the one console, which is like, that's like millions of tons of CO2, millions. Um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, he's, I, can't remember if I mentioned his name. His name's Joshua Aslan and um, yeah, really, really amazing work. Um, every time I get a chance, I always try and like get people to like go read his PhD. It's an engineering PhD, so it's kind of complicated, but it's, it, it's also got approachable kind of summaries at the beginning and the end and, and things like that. So it's, it's a complicated question. And his conclusion basically at the very end of it is it really depends um, like, like what Um, where you draw the system boundaries, what the user's behavior is, what the data center configuration is, all of these factors have to be taken into account. And there isn't really any one kind of like silver bullet uh, solution apart from, I guess, this really, really detailed like total system analysis. Um, which I know is not the answer that people want to hear. People want to hear an answer of like, okay, you go do this, you buy this thing, you implement this, whatever, and that solves the problem. But that just doesn't exist right now. For me, I I take a longer view of the same problem and I look out into the future of, you know, 2030, 20, 2040, 20, 2050, 20, um, and I look at the the kind of energy system transition that's kind of happening already and it just seems to me like, Um, most of those kind of problems in the medium to long-term kind of sort themselves out just through that kind of greater penetration of renewables. Um, So Australia has a really increasing percentage of renewables. Um, Every day we're breaking records of how much power we're generating. Um, I know the UK has a really like quite a low emissions intensity um in general now just due to the number of like offshore wind that it's built um but there are lots of different levels of intensity all around the world and so again like there's just so much complexity around a question like that that um uh in for the short term at least anyway it's always going to be like efficiency is going to be the the only real kind of thing that you can say all right well that's going to help reduce our, our kind of emissions do we have the most efficient devices can we get more efficient devices um yeah until we get to the point where we're at like 80 90 100 renewables yeah hmm.
1: that was that was really interesting it's it's cool that between the generations, we are reducing the the impact as well. Um, it's, it's not just a case of a bigger console means more energy is used up. It actually means reality is less energy is used up, and I think that's really exciting. And
3: mm. Well, sorry, so I forgot to answer that part of your question too. So the PS5, it does use a little bit more, um, like, power, but, I mean, and this is sort of the, the way that Sony uh, kind of rationalises it, is that you get, like you know, it's like 20 times more powerful than the PS4, right? So, mm. which, which makes sense. And, like, I mean, I, I really loved my PS4. I had the PS4 Pro and I played it, like, a lot. I played a lot of Destiny over the years. Like, I literally, like, every night I'd be on Destiny. <laughs> um, and even I could tell, like, by the end of sort of 2019, this console is, is really reaching the limits of, of what it can kind of do. So, um. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's, it's complicated. So I'm not, as, I'm not as pessimistic about, you know, the new generation as some are. Obviously, I think it, it, it's a huge benefit if the generation lasts longer um, because a big part of the emissions footprint is the console manufacturing itself. I think, um, again, Joshua Aslan found about 50 kilograms of CO2 it, is what it took to produce one PS4. Um, just one. Just one, yeah. Uh, so you can multiply that by the number of PS4s out there and you, you get a rough sense of the, the kind of footprint uh, that we're talking about. We're talking about millions of tonnes of, of CO2. So, so what we can do to, to, like, keep those in service, I suppose, um, will kind of help in a way as well. Yeah, I think there's a,
1: lot of, there's a lot of scope for us to improve. I wanted to ask you very quickly about the survey that you conducted Or are conducting with the University of Technology in Sydney? Uh, Would you be able to talk a little bit about the data you've collected or are collecting here?
3: Mm. So, so that survey was um, I put that out at the start of 2020, and um, what I wanted to get from it was a sense of what energy intensity is involved in in making a game, and um, to do that, I just asked people to tell me how much power their particular office or wherever they work, um, was using and like what, what was the amount on their power bill. And um, I got some interesting data from that and uh, I, like I didn't quite get as many people as I wanted. I got maybe about 30 responses um, over the, the couple of months that I sort of promoted it, um, but it gave me a, a, enough of an indication to be able to, to combine that with some other data from um, the corporate social responsibility reports which are the sort of like environmental reporting documents that um, large corporations are, are increasingly producing. It's part of like being a, a responsible social uh, actor. Um, and so a lot of those have emissions figures in them as well. And, uh, and together I, I sort of built up a bit of a picture of what kind of intensity um, is involved in, in just making games uh so I, I came up with a, a range of of figures and a and a sort of per employee basis. Um so the the typical profile of most game studios, it seems to me, from the data I gathered, was that somewhere between one and five tons of CO2 is emitted per year per employee. So yeah, wow. so so you can multiply that by the number of um, game developers in the world, which I roughly put at about Somewhere, like very conservatively, at the, at a minimum, there's five hundred thousand. At a maximum, there might be say like uh, a couple of million, two, three million, depending on who and what you to, you decide is a developer. Um, and so you you combine that all together, and you end up with a range of, um, uh, I think it's about one to to like roughly like fifteen million tons a year. Uh, CO2 just to just to make games um, I'll just double check that number for you if I can but it's like it's a lot wow um, that's
1: an absolutely yeah. so that, the, boggling number
3: yeah so yeah three to 15 million tons of CO2 and that's so that's including everything like flights and travel um, as well as like the energy you use so the the flights themselves are, are, in one case they they ended up more than doubling the um the the rest of the um uh the carbon footprint so travel is a really big part of it and um i think yeah maybe some of the lessons we've learned from the kind of COVID year experience or two years now um could kind of help us to to reduce some of that unnecessary travel
1: the last question we have for you it's a, it's a bit of a quick one for you uh so video games are a storytelling medium uh off the top of your head, do you think there are any games that are exemplary at navigating a story around climate change, leaving us with a sense of purpose or desire for change? Any that inspire you?
3: From from a story perspective, um, there aren't too many that I get really excited by. Um, I I kind of feel um, like one of one of the arguments that i have made in the past is that and and i make this in the book as well is that the the climate crisis is a it's climate change is such an ideological issue that um for many people like we've already decided you know what we think about it and um and so like I, i i all for like climate storytelling by all means like like do that sort of thing um some of my favourite books are like climate fiction, like um, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's work is is fantastic. I really liked um, Paolo Bakagalupi. I'm totally mispronouncing his last name, but his book The Water Knife, which is about like far future um, water struggles in the Western US. Um, I, yeah, like it's really, really interesting space for kind of exploration. But, um, yeah, there's none that I'm really, really like I, I've, been too excited by um so far i've been more interested in like the almost the aesthetic dimension of of kind of some games that that present like just a really appealing vibe in a way like a beautiful world to inhabit um like even things like breath of the wild the the zelda game on switch it's got this this really beautiful vibe it's really nice to kind of be in there I mean, that's not really a climate change narrative, but it is sort of like a post-apocalyptic-y sort of one. It's like, I um, mean, there's definitely like overlap between those two, those two sort of genres. Like there's, there's heaps of climate, sorry, heaps of post-apocalyptic games. Um, but the, uh, the climate ones seem to, yeah, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really been taken by too many of them yet.
0: You're right. It's difficult. I'm mean, i and, and, and glad that you, you um, touched on post-apocalyptic because you're right. There's just a plethora of those, those types of games. The ones that come to mind for me, uh, which aren't necessarily directly linked to climate change, but things like Fallout, Mad Max, and even our very own Dark Future, which are all about the end game. It's like, you know, climate change and a, a post-apocalyptic thing has happened. And this is what the world is like now. That for me as a gamer is like, it's almost enough just to be like, well, I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to know that my grandchildren's children's children are going to have to, you know, deal with things like this in the future. Whatever we can do now, no matter, no matter how small the the change is, going to be worth it. Um, you know, it just kind of leaves a bit of a bit of a sour taste that something like that could be on the horizon unless big changes are made. You know, yeah, and so that's that's
3: thing. that's one of the things I struggled with with the um, uh, the Last of Us series. I just I found those sorts of games. And I guess just that, that kind of really grim fiction in general, I find it really like just not that appealing. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I played the first one. I still haven't played the second one because it just seemed like way more of the same, more of, um, more of that like crushing nihilism and, and I'm much more interested in like optimistic visions and, and things like that. I think that's, that's, a, that's really important to, to hold space for, for hope in that way.
1: Would you be able to quickly tell us, Ben, uh, again the title of your book and mm. where it will be made available and when?
3: Yeah, so the book is called "Digital Games After Climate Change," and it should be out in around about, um, around about April, I think, in the new year. Um, I, that's that's what the publisher website seemed to say, and it's it the publisher is Palgrave. Um, it's so it should be i think the first edition will probably be like a hardcover and it'll be really prohibitively expensive so maybe look for like an (laughs) ebook version or something instead but i mean because i'm not making any money out of the book i'm just doing it because it i think it's work that needs to to kind of get out there and Mm. hopefully can spark some conversations yeah
1: i'm really excited to read it
3: that was some incredibly detailed insight
0: right there from dr benjamin abraham um thank you so much Jess, you've got some games you want to throw at me, right? Climate change using games as a storytelling medium.
1: So climate change using games as a storytelling medium. Uh, Why is it that these narratives enrapture us? Um, What are the kinds of messages that can be told through games? Um, I have a few games I wanted to run past you, Matt, and also see your thoughts into them as well. Um, Because I think some of them are really, really... Uh, beautiful and perfect storytellings and parallels to to climate change and the ways that we can actually actively negate them and and work to reverse climate change. So let me start with uh, Garden Story, uh, developed by PicoGram and published by Rose City Games. Uh, It's a game whose narrative is an excellent metaphor for the impact of pollution and how working together within communities can reduce and reverse this impact. Uh, it's a great parallel to encouraging community support to limit waste and alternative means to single-use living. Um, so for context, you are this tiny little fruit thing, and it's it's very, like, 2D pixel art style, but uh, some really, really gorgeous artwork. And your one of your friends is called Plum. You have another friend who's a frog, and you have to go around the, the town and, and protect them from these... Uh, basically pollution blobs that's what they're a metaphor for um and uh you you get to fight them with a sword but then there's also like means of helping uh, everyone else in the town and the community so you uh, do tasks for them and you make sure that they are supported with what it is that they're doing and it's it's a great way of explaining that one of the best things we can do um to be better activists, climate activists, is to, to work together and that we can rely on each other for support um, and share uh, resources.
0: A game like that, I mean, I, I've never heard of it, I must admit, um, I certainly haven't played it, of course, but it's, it then forces things to be, you're looking to make a real statement. And the fact that you mentioned it's pixel art as well, pixel art stands at the, uh, the test of time because it requires your imagination. You know, it requires you to kind of look behind or look beyond those blocks and those pixels. Um, and that can add so, so much more to the experience that you're having or will have. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that they're taking on more of a kind of artistic style with that. But it sounds great. And I'd be very keen to try that for sure.
1: Um, and then on, on the flip side, we've got Bee Simulator uh, by Varsav Game Studio, uh, published by NACOM. Um, you know, I I think the first thing that stood out to me is like is is a simulation of a bee, like existing as a bee and pollinating and living and flying around like a bee, is that really a way to understand climate change? Um and, you know, what what does that perspective give us? And I thought about it for a moment and I was like, actually yes, yes. I think that not only are simulators great for uh really putting you into that, that world, that realm, that that perspective that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get, right? Um, you know, like flight simulator, you've never been able to be a pilot before and now suddenly you're flying a plane. Um, in this way you are, um, you know, uh, existing as a bee and and seeing the, the havoc that humanity has wrecked on the world um, and how that impacts you and your hive. Um, and obviously, bees are um, very topical in terms of the conversation around climate change because you know they, they need to be supported and climate change is killing them off um, really sadly and unfortunately so um, it was nice to get a completely different perspective on this conversation and to see, to, to be on the receiving end of it, I think often when we think about games of climate change we're never put in that place of having received it, it's also just fun flying around <laughs>
0: yeah When is it not fun? I mean, I must, again, must admit, I've, I've never, I've never played as a B in any game um, I've ever played. I've played a lot of games as we all have. Um, but I'd imagine the visual on that to be quite, to, quite kind of, to be quite cute, quite safe, quite, um, quite welcoming. Um, it's almost a shame. I, I wonder how much, and I hope that a game like this would really hit home quite a serious point. You know, it has, it has a very great point to make. And I really hope that is delivered despite what I'd I presume to be quite kind of, as I mentioned, sort of welcoming, welcomed, and, and sort of cute visuals. Um, I'm going to have to play that one because uh, I'd be very keen to see where, if there's a conflict between the message that's wanting to be sort of said or, or, or told with what's actually being visually delivered. So, it'll be interesting to see how that how that lands. Excuse the pun. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, and then, of course, we at Auroc Digital, we have our own games and our own projects and our our own events, um, you know, that we've really used uh, storytelling as a means of um, talking about climate change. So, uh, for example, we did uh, a game called Coconut Sunshine under our project Game The News, um, years and years and years ago now, long before my time here. Um, and you... In this game, uh, it's, it's a really cute uh, town management game where you are placed in charge of a town and you uh, need to balance all the finances and construct more solar energy panels to turn the town into an entirely renewable energy sustained environment. Um, and you've only got a year in your office to do this. So there's that time pressure. Um, and it was really nice to be working um like with with projects like Game Game the News uh, that we did long ago, it was really exciting to take kind of a more direct approach to video games because obviously the purpose could be to talk about climate change and the purpose could be to create a game with that purpose rather than needing to worry as well about the marketability and making it into a game that can be received by the whole world with all different kinds of audiences, you know? so I guess it's, it's a question of like, you know, where do, we, where do we see that in real life? Like We can see we've got uh, the government are putting up a couple of initiatives in the UK that I've seen for homeowners um, where they'll support you in getting renewable energy resources like solar panels in your homes. Um, it really makes me question, like, surely there could be more that we, we can do. We've also got Dark Future Blood Red States uh, released a couple of years ago in 2019. Oh, lovely, lovely dark future. Um, available on Steam and Epic Game Store. We worked with the scientists at the Wellcome Trust to develop a game that emulated the the themes and intentions of Games Workshop's original board game, but also embraced and accurately portrayed a dark future as we'd imagine it today. Um, you know, when, when they made the board game in the 80s, what they imagined a dark future to be would not necessarily correlate with what we'd imagine a dark future to be because we've seen the effects of climate change and can much better model them uh, into place. So um, working together to to envision this future after ruthless impact of climate change, uh, setting the scene for a turn-based action-driving game into a desolate and sobering environment, I think uh, dark future is a really unique concept
0: yeah, it's 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 a unique concept for sure. In certainly in game gameplay um, mechanics for one, and also yeah, that the premise of it and dark future kind of gives you the end game. It gives you like the answer of how things could, you know, result in themselves. It could it could end up like like that.
1: The, the work that we did with the Welcome Trust really brought us to like the harsh reality of a dark future that we really do face. Um, And I suppose that's a really nice way to ignite our drive as a studio to to tackle climate change head on.
0: So much to cover in this episode today. Uh, Thanks so much, Jess. That was super, super cool and many games that I'm desperate now to try out. Um, But we're going to welcome back uh, Thomas Rawlings to the pod um, following season six, back in season seven.
4: Hello. uh, Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Jess, for that introduction. I'm Thomas and I'm the studio director here at Auroc Digital. Uh, And I've managed to pull into the podcast uh, a colleague of ours, um, Stephen Webb, who um, actually is working on a whole bunch of stuff relevant to climate change, which is why we wanted him on the podcast. And so, Stephen, I wondered if you'd be able to introduce yourself for listeners, please.
2: Sure. Thanks, Thomas. Hi, I'm Stephen. Uh, My day job at Sumo is is to do with legal matters, but I have a real passion about uh, what's currently called ESG, Environment, Social and Governance issues. It's something I've been involved in uh, for many years and uh, hence the interest as you said
4: Thomas on Sumo's net zero pledge. So could you tell us a little bit about why Sumo has a net zero pledge? I mean why have we gone for that?
2: Yeah sure as I said it's um, uh, ESG is something that's talked about a lot these days in the context of companies and corporations and what they can do to co- contribute to the to the greater good, as well as just the historical um, aim of making profit. And the um, focus within Sumo Group to start with was very much on the the social aspects of ESG. Um, our people, uh, uh, recruiting them, retaining them, making them feel comfortable and happy at work, is was a really key focus for Sumo. And that's where we started on our uh, ESG work. But recently, especially with um, uh, the COP26 taking place in the UK, the environment took a much more central focus too. And through the roadshows we do with all of the studios around the Sumo group um, at the half year and full year, we were getting a lot of questions from, from colleagues about what was our What were our environmental commitments? And we'd started out the year with um, a target to reduce our carbon emissions by 5%, which was, I have to say, quite a cautious and therefore not that inspiring target. Uh, Listening to what colleagues were saying and looking at what was happening in in the world around us made us think that we should take a much bolder step on the environment. And it was that that prompted the recent announcement um, of SUMO pledging to go carbon net zero by
4: 2025. So in that that 5% cut, as I understood it, that actually there was, that wasn't just like offset cut, that was actual practical, we are using less energy.
2: Yeah, Thomas, that, that's right. Um, and um, one of the challenges for Sumo, like lots of um, office-based businesses, is that we don't have any um, hugely energy-consuming processes that we could redefine or, or reconfigure in order to make a huge reduction in our carbon emissions. So inevitably, there's going to be, if we want to get to net zero as we do, some element of, of offsetting. But that's not that's not the entirety of what we're doing. As, as you said, we also want to make real steps to reduce our emissions. And to date, we've done a number of things with that in mind. As we've as we've um, moved into new studios or, or refurbished studios, we've made sure that we're using energy efficient lighting. Um, where we can, we've switched all of our energy contracts for studios to renewable sources. Um, we've had a car sharing scheme running in in um, Sumo's first office in Sheffield for some time, and we've recently introduced across the Sumo group in the UK a scheme uh, allowing our people to uh, um, to Take leases of ultra low emission vehicles at very, very favourable rates. So those are kind of a, a, a selection of things that we we're already doing to make real reductions in our emissions. But as I said, we, we're we never going to get to zero without um, employing offsets as part
4: of the part of the overall. Which solution. is a good segue into another another query, and I think something you know, we the 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 or digital sort of. We, we've been into this issue for a while and, and this is something I've I spent a lot of time looking at and struggling over with, to be honest, is, is you know, a lot of people criticise offsets and I've definitely seen offsets which deserve to be criticised. But I've also seen offset methods that actually strike me as they genuinely result in a net reduction in CO2 going into the atmosphere. And that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. You know, how how would you... Come against somebody using that as an accusation of greenwash or something like that you know how how is it that it's being done that that makes you feel as somebody who cares about this issue that it's a genuine change
2: yeah it's a it's a completely fair challenge and i think if if all sumo had done as said we'll just in a sense buy our way out of the problem by buying offsets um that that would have been a, f- a very fair challenge but because we're um, combining that with um, activities that I've already mentioned and others that that, that we're going to take going forward, um, I, I don't I don't think that would be a, a fair um, accusation against what Sumo is doing. The, the other thing that I think is um, is important to mention is when we were th- we didn't just buy any old offsets, if you like. We we, we looked into um, <clears throat> what were the offsets we were buying um, going to achieve, and and. As I think you know, the, the offsets um, Sumo purchased were, were to um, restore and protect the, the peatlands in the north of England. And those have been described as the, the Amazon rainforests of the UK. They, they store vast amounts of um, CO2 and it's estimated that um, the loss of those peatlands is releasing hundreds of thousands of tons of CO2 into the atmosphere each year. So I think, to your point, Thomas, um, buying offsets that go...
4: That's great. That's really good to know. I mean, do you think, you know, you know, is a small company, obviously we're part of Sumo now, which is a much bigger company. Do you think that there's a kind of there's a way this can inspire other companies to take action and to kind of move on it? You know, do you do you feel that's part of it?
2: Definitely, and I really hope so. Um, um I, I've at every every possible um method I can of flagged to to people I talk to that Sumo is doing this and offered to to talk to them and, and explain to them why we've done what we've done and how we're doing it. So I do I do hope it can inspire other companies. The other organisation that we're a Sumo Group um, in 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 talks with in terms of joining is something which is UN backed um, called Playing for the Planet, which has a number of. It's targeted at the video games industry, and a number of video game developers and publishers are already members of that organisation, and that's also something we're looking into as. As part of our environmental commitments, because joining that body will help us be at the centre of um, video game industry uh, initiatives in terms
4: of benefiting the environment. That's brilliant, thank you. And we will post um, links to the relevant topics that have come up in this in the um, in the description section of the podcast, so people can follow up and find out more about what we're talking about here. Um, thank you hugely for your time Stephen really appreciate it Uh, and and thanks
0: for coming on the podcast pleasure thank you yes I always leave um, almost every episode that we've ever produced uh, for the pod pretty enlightened Um, and this one has been pretty hard-hitting as well I mean we've we've mentioned we've alluded to the fact that um, climate change is upon us it's happening Um, we all need to do something about it we need to do our little bit Um, and yeah feeling incredibly enlightened after those two fantastic guests.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel inspired. I feel motivated. I feel a little bit a little bit sad, if I'm going to be honest, because, you know, it's a sad topic. Um, but I don't think there's anything to shy away from. And I think it only feeds my motivation to be a better climate activist and to really try and change the games industry along the right way. Um, and it makes me happy to be part of Sumo Group, who are actively combating that and working to change
4: it yeah i mean joining you for the outro on this it's a for me like it's it's definitely there's lots of emotions go through my head like i want to obviously want to do something about it i'd kind of like a livable climate you know not a nice thing to have um for me that you have to overcome that inertia like i think the first ever climate protest i went to was like 20 years ago and i didn't think 20 years later we'd still be having to have a lot of the same arguments which unfortunately we are But that said, I think on the horizon is some pretty amazing technologies. I think I feel that there has been uh, a more gradual than it should have been, but there's definitely been a cultural shift going on, um, which I hope will gain momentum. Uh, and, And I think it's incumbent on every part of our lives that we have to consider it because it's going to impact every part of our lives. We don't have the luxury of pretending
0: that isn't happening anymore
1: yeah definitely we can't we can't feign ignorance on this topic um it's
0: i think what's what's really sad as well is that there is still so much ignorance surrounding this whole thing um i mean it's it, it's tragic because so many people will will continue to to not kind of take stock of 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 how much there is to unpack around this uh, and everyone really does need to make that make that effort no matter how small anything anyone can do it's going to have an impact you know um, and it is kind of tragic.
4: I mean, unfortunately, I, I think that the solutions to it are, are essentially now political. Like the technologies we need are there and being developed. The we know what the solutions we need to do as a as a as a species. But I, I think it just means political will, and I think companies doing stuff are part of the political solution in the sense that they show a general cultural move to this is something we should deal with. And I think that, in a way, that's one of the most valuable things about a company acting on it and an individual acting on it is that it pushes the political window towards action because without governments acting ultimately there's only a certain distance individuals and companies can get and that that to me is where i, I think we need you know we, we need kind of political pressure to make real change you know and it, it's hard as a game development studio kind of poking your head above the parapet and saying this is the thing we need but i think as a company we've never been particularly shy about wearing what we think is the right thing on our sleeves and being overt about it. And, and this is an area where, you know, I do think there is, you know, sure there's debates about how best to solve it, but the fact that it needs solving, I don't think there's a debate.
1: Yeah, I really agree with that. Um, the, the political movement definitely needs to be uh, perpetuated in that direction. Um, and I think the, the pressure that we can exert on the government and on political systems. Through, through the means of our, our standing as a company, our standing as part of a uh, sumo group, our standing as, as being pioneers within the games industry in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's, it's a worthwhile thing for us to maintain um, as at all Rock Digital.
4: Brilliant, and that I think is a good note to end this episode. Uh, well, I, I wanna say thank you to, to you, Jess, and thank you to you, Matt, for all your hard work recording the episodes and doing the the venerable hosting work.
0: Yeah, it's been a a really good one. As I mentioned, it's been incredibly enlightening and huge thank you to the guests uh, today, Stephen and Benjamin. And yeah, thanks guys so much for your time too. We'll see you in the next one. In the fast-paced realm of the games industry, the best way to keep up to date with everything happening at Auroc Digital is to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, using the handle at Auroc Digital. And we're on LinkedIn too, as OROC digital limited We also encourage you to sign up to our mailing list to receive regular newsletters that go into more detail about our projects and to join our community Discord, who are the first to hear our updates. You can subscribe to the mailing list and join the Discord on our website, orocdigital.com. And whilst you're on the website, be sure to check out our recruitment page under orocdigitalcom forward slash jobs where we post all employment opportunities. Links to all these socials and more are in the episode description. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one.